everybody. Welcome to Muscle Maven Radio. I'm your host, Ashley Van Houten. This is a very special milestone episode of the podcast because this is the 50th episode of Muscle Maven Radio. Now, I have probably recorded over 300 something, probably more than that, in the multiple hundreds of podcasts at this point, um, working with other individuals, hosting Paleo Magazine Radio for a few years. But it's been a little over a year since I rebranded and created a podcast with my own name. And this is the 50th episode. And, you know, that's like a nice round number. You know, we got to 50 episodes. That's pretty cool. And so I thought I would have a special guest to help me celebrate this milestone. And that guest is none other than the OG himself, Rob Wolf. So anybody who listens to this podcast probably already knows who Rob Wolf is. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He wrote The Paleo Solution. He wrote the book Wired to Eat. He co-authored the incredible book Sacred Cow with Diana Rogers. He is a former research biochemist. He's one of the world's leading experts in paleolithic nutrition. Um, he's doing so much with his podcast, with the work that he puts out there for free. He's got this Healthy Rebellion online community that I recently joined, and I'm playing around a little bit in there, and it's incredible. Um, but he's just hugely influential in the ancestral health, paleo, whole foods um, just health world in general, really. Um, but also he was one of the first people that I ever discovered, listened to, and learned from when I was starting my health journey and also my career in this industry. Um, I would say it was Rob Wolf's podcast and maybe Primal Blueprint, uh, Mark Sisson's podcast that were the two first podcasts I ever listened to, um, back when there were, you know, a few dozen of them and maybe a couple health podcasts instead of a billion health podcasts. Um, but I think it's fair to say that Rob helped shape the trajectory of my health journey, um, as well as my professional career. So pretty influential in my life. Um, I'm super appreciative of the work that he does. Super glad that he's still around and um, helping to just sort of inform and start conversations and educate people. Um, it's kind of a big deal. So I was really, really happy to get him back on the podcast. I've interviewed him a couple of times. Um, and I really didn't want this one to necessarily be like, hey, Rob, tell me what you think these days about carbs, because, you know whatever. I mean, he talks about it on his podcast. I talk about it on mine. I just thought that it would be cooler if <laughs> I was able to have a bit more of a meta conversation with him. And we really ended up diving into a lot of pretty deep topics, um, maybe getting a little bit more controversial than I'm, I normally do on the podcast. I don't know. You know, we talk about politics. We talk about the pandemic. We talk about the changing nature of communication and teaching and how we can possibly as um, health and wellness um, educators make change in the current environment that we're living in that is increasingly divisive and online and weird and emotions-based rather than fact-based. Um, we talk about cancel culture. We talk about creating community. We talk about how the subtle messaging, the subtle anti-meat 
uh, messaging or just the er erasing of um, meat from the health conversation is actually more insidious than this aggressive kind of anti-meat pro-plant marketing and how we can kind of combat that. Um, and really how we can just kind of make a positive impact in such a charged industry. Um, so we get into a lot of stuff, a lot of topics I don't normally talk about, a lot of topics Rob says he doesn't even normally talk about because it can seem like such an uphill battle to, um, I don't know, get anything sort of out there uh, in the world that we're living in and, and actually have it land and, and be absorbed by the people that should hear it. Um, so this was a really cool, really special episode. I'm really appreciative of Rob for taking the time to do it. And um, that's it. I'll, I'll follow up with you after this podcast and at the end and, and talk about a couple other things that I have going on. But um, I really hope you enjoy this one. And it would really, really mean a lot to me um, because this is like I said, a milestone. I made it. I'm not sure how much longer um, I'm going to do this. I don't know if there's going to be a hundredth episode of Muscle Maven Radio, um, but it would mean a lot if you do like this episode, if you do appreciate the podcast, if you could take the time to subscribe, to make sure you're downloading every episode, to leave a review and a rating, um, to tell other people that this podcast is worth listening to and to share it with people who could benefit because that's, um, that's really all I need from you guys. And it, and it means a lot. So without further ado, here is the 50th episode of muscle Maven radio with the incredible, awesome, hilarious rubble. And we're recording Rob. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Good to see you. You, I, I am willing to bring down property values anywhere, anytime. So uh, thank you. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. I'll keep you posted. Currently enjoying my watermelon <laughs> element here. Shameless plug, but you deserve it. It's a, it's a strong product. choice. Yeah, it's my favorite. What's yours? Uh, the watermelon also, although I do mix it up, I, this one is a uh, an orange. Basically, watermelon is out by a mile. Orange is the next one, then kind of raspberry. Um, I do some chocolate salt in coffee occasionally. And um, I think I may have burned myself out on the citrus. Like I can only do it in a, a margarita at this point. Otherwise, I... I, I'm not digging the citrus at this point. Yeah, so, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I yeah. had a similar experience with the chocolate. The chocolate was my favorite because I have a sweet tooth and the amazing people at Element sent mm -hmm. me like a metric ton of chocolate. And so now it, it makes, I, I can't, I just can't do it anymore, but that's only because I drank like an actual metric ton of it. So watermelon's my new jam. But anyway, I appreciate you putting this out nice. because I think nice. the, the, you know, the crew of us that, that need this stuff and we've been settling for really crappy product. Like this is, this is pretty exciting. So we can talk a little bit more about, um, electrolytes and hydration and what that means, because I actually did get a fair um, bit of questions on the old Instagram about that. Um, but first, let's just kind of like warm up here because cool. it's it's been a while since I had gotten to talk to you or see you. But how is life? How is work? What's what's getting you fired up these days? 
Everything's good. We, we, uh, two, two and a half years ago, we moved to Texas and it was, it was a cool experience, but, um, as cool as Texas is, uh, we realized that we grew up in this kind of Northern Nevada, Northern California mountainous area. And we really missed the mountains. Um, my kids wanted to kill me when they found out that Texas snows about once every 30 years. And they're like, dude, that's not gonna work you know so um we moved to the kalispell montana area uh three months ago today and we really like it we have an amazing jujitsu community here the straight blast gym scene here is amazing um the kids go uh my wife is, is there um all of the girls just competed in their first jujitsu tournament last week and they had a great time the most important thing is that they came back more fired up for training than what they went into it. And so that was awesome. Uh, within the last two days, we've had a grizzly bear and a mountain lion move through our property, which is both cool and pretty unnerving that when I check the mail, I need to take bear spray with me and stuff like that. And like, if the girls go out to play on the trampoline or Rhodesian Ridgeback, must be outside with them. So mm -hmm. yeah, but, um, I mean, it's, it's good. Uh, Man, as far as things that are firing me up, work work stuff is is interesting because I, I continue to try to provide some value to folks, but also try not to get myself canceled, which I find an ever more challenging thing because I either talk about completely trite stuff or I try to dig into some big important topics like metabolic health and and you know regenerative ag and different things like that and and. and Here's a, a thought I had the other day. Someday in my life, I would like to have kind of an interesting idea that is actually mainstream and not that I'm not like just fighting the 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 parent paradigm or what have you, you know, just be like, oh yeah, everybody agrees on this and I agree with it too. And let let's just go go full tilt on that. But where's the yeah. fun in that though, Rob? I mean, I, you know, one thing I learned the last year, like I wrote a book about organ meats, like that's a bit of a tough sell. And you know what? If I had written a book that, let's be honest, if I had written a book that would have been an easier sell, like, hey, I'm a girl, here's a paleo, a bowl of paleo salad, would have been an easier sell. It would have been a whole hell of a lot more boring and probably wouldn't have done as well because I'm not really right. saying, I'm not really saying anything, right. um, but I hear you. I hear you. And that's something that I would love to talk to you about because listening to your podcast and, and I think just because over the last year or so with what's been going on with the world and how we've all turned collectively even more online for our information and our outrage in many cases, um, it's creating Maybe it's just exacerbating problems that, of course, were already there, but I, I'm, I'm quite interested mm -hmm. in, in having that conversation with you. But I do want to back it up a little bit to um, wild animals in your backyard, Rhodesian Ridgebacks. That's a good choice because those are some like badass dogs. Like they will actually protect you generally, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And he's very capable of doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Those yeah. are badass dogs. Um, how old were your kids when they got into jujitsu? They're, uh, they are both, um, basically nine and seven now. Sagan's birthday is in, in a couple of months, but they first started doing it maybe three years ago, but very intermittent. Like initially it was more of like some jujitsu, some striking, um, a whole lot of like kind of ninja warrior-y type stuff. And it, it's been the last um, maybe like six to nine months that they've 
kind of focused on just specifically the Brazilian jiu-jitsu, particularly once once we hit this Kalispell area, like the the straight blast gyms, the uh have such a phenomenal curriculum for kids in particular. They have this program called Growing Gorillas and it it covers the jujitsu, but all this stuff outside of that, like all these life skills that, that they, you know, building character and, and really being responsible for it. So they get a monthly check, check sheet, you know, of stuff that they're supposed to be doing. And some of it is like accumulating one minute of planks and, and then they get a check or, you know, doing push-ups. And then they have these life skill things. Like, did I do the, the chores that were allocated to me without my parents asking me? And, and if um, all the kids in the class do this stuff, then they get like some sort of a pizza pajama movie party on, on the gym, um, if they don't like last time, last month, two kids failed to complete it. So no, no party like everybody. So there's both that individual responsibility, but also the team level responsibility. And when I first was made aware of this, I'm like, oh, this seems kind of, kind of hokey or kind of, kind of cheesy. And like the kids go crazy over it. They're like, dad, how many, how many more checks do I need on, uh, you know, can I get a parent power pick on this thing? And so it, it's, uh, it's really cool. And, and, uh, I think anybody benefits from Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but I, I think women in particular, young women like that ability to defend yourself legitimately, having some, some awareness of kind of surrounding and, and all that type of stuff. And then it's just an amazing, you know, physical experience doing all that. There's a little bit of gymnastics, a little bit of strength work, and then just, uh, you know, everything that's cool about Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Unfortunately, both girls really love it. Like I'm, I'm, I, I don't put a ton of things in front of them of must haves, but they will do some sort of legit self-defense until they're like 16 or 18. It's either Muay Thai or jujitsu or judo or wrestling or something like they, they will do that. Um, that that's just going to be one of the, the non-negotiables. If they want a horseback ride or they want to do this or that, that's totally optional, but they're going to do some sort of a self-defense activity and uh, mixed into that. Yeah. I love that. I, I mean, my only regret with jujitsu was getting into it when I was already like a full on grown up and not doing it younger um, for the exact reasons that you're saying in terms of just body awareness, confidence, basic self-defense um, and all that stuff. And, you know, when the, the gym that I was going to here had like a kid's class before mine and I was always so impressed watching these like and this was like really young, like, yeah, like they were about like, you know, four or five six, maybe even, and just how much mm -hmm. fun they were having, yeah. like how dialed in they were. Like this wasn't just playing around doing somersaults. Like they were really, they were really doing it, but they weren't getting the same level of right. up maybe that some adults do when, when you're rolling. So it's just the, the stuff that right. it's teaching them. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like I, it's just, yeah, it's so invaluable. So, and you said like, uh, obviously you would think that they probably were kind of into it cause they see you doing it. Um, but was there a conversation of like, Hey, do you want to try jujitsu? Do you want to, you know, do what I'm doing? Or is there something else you want to try? Or was it, you know, at a certain age, you're kind of, you encourage them to do things. And then later, if they make a decision, they want to do something else they can like, how, how does that work with younger kids? Oh, that's interesting. You know, um, they knew that my wife and I were doing jujitsu and like, we played around with them a little bit. Like, you know, I get them in, in kind of like an airplane sweep and then, you know, set them on the mat and stuff like that. So we had a lot of, a lot of fun doing some jujitsu type movements. 
and then uh, took them to the gym with us. And, and, you know, we did kind of a sneaky thing, which was um, we took them to the gym many times uh, while there was a kid's class going on. And I said, hey, would you want to do that? And they were, they were like, oh, I might want to check it out. I'm like, well, you're going to have to earn it. Like you're going to have to do a bunch of good stuff before you can go. So I didn't make it this thing of like us dragging them there. I actually put a barrier in place that they had to earn their way into it. And it, it just, uh, it changed the dynamic a lot. It was kind of like, oh, you might not let me go. And, it, yeah. and, and so that changed everything with it. And so there wasn't the, the dragged, you know, kicking and screaming on it. it. It's interesting. Like Zoe really, really, really likes to run. Like she will just get out and run. Like she just goes. And so I do need to find, we're homeschooling. So we need to figure out like, is she going to get into some soccer or like some track and field or, or something like that? Like she really does have a, an interest in that, that I, I need to cultivate. But beyond that, like, I, I think that the jujitsu classes are cool and that they, there's lots of kids there. It's very play-based. There's, there's lots of games. So like when they, when they learn the simple sweep, um, there's this game called Jiu-Jitsu Virus, which is kind of ironic, mm -hmm. you know, given COVID and all the rest of that stuff. But the kids start off scooting on their butt and then they have to take kids down. And if they take the kid down, then the kid becomes a virus and the last person standing wins, wins the game. So they learn a bunch of, and there's another one called Sticky Backpack, which is basically taking back and having back control and, and all this. And so they learn a bunch of the jujitsu via game-based format. And then they also do matches and, and all that stuff, but it's, they just get so much good interaction with other kids and it's very supportive, but also there's, there's real legit accountability there and everything. So there's, there's just a lot that I think some kids it may not be into it, but I, I think the vast majority of kids would be really interested in, in some sort of a program like that for sure. Yeah. yeah. And capitalizing on when kids actually still naturally have effortlessly flawless body mechanics. It's like a smart idea, right? Like when they can right. squat beautifully and move right. without pain, right. it's like, let's get them into learning about their body. Like let's optimize this time. Yeah. Um, so I've been to Kalispell. Totally. I've yeah. been to Kalispell yeah. once I went, uh, I went for a, like a kind of health and wellness retreat and is it East Glacier National Park? Am I saying that right? I think that's what mm -hmm. it's called. Yeah. And did the West Glacier is the closest one to us. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Did the beautiful hike, went up to the top, the glacier, yep. the top. it's like, looks ridiculous. Like I just kept taking pictures and I'm like, these, these pictures are stupid because they look like postcards that like can't be real, but they are. And of course we saw some bears on that yep. walk. So I get that you're much closer to nature. Did you, did you really go just because Texas is just too damn hot or were there other, are there other benefits? I feel like a lot of people, especially in the health world, it's sort of like there was a migration to Texas and now there seems to be like this mini migration in Montana. I'm just wondering what I'm missing out on besides the beautiful mountains. Yeah. I mean, it brought us closer to our, to my wife's family. Like uh, uh, her family lives in, in Reno and Idaho and we kind of checked in with them and there was no way they were going to move to Texas. There's a possibility they might move to Montana. So there was a little bit of that thought. Um, part of it, it's interesting. Part of my thought around Texas also was that we, we were in New Brunfels, which is halfway between San Antonio and Austin. And so I was 35, 40 minutes away from two major airports, um, central time zone. I could go East coast, West coast and get back home within one day, which I've never 
had that uh, uh, when we first moved there. I was still traveling a fair amount for work. And now at this point, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to do a live event again. You know, I mean, I, I, I really don't. I don't know what the you know, like the vaccine passports and all the rest of this type of stuff is really going to happen. So a number of the compelling reasons to be in that that area kind of changed uh, with with COVID and whatnot. And um, it also, and this gets out a little bit weird, but I'll, I'll, I'll throw it out there. But as things were getting more squirrely at the end of, of 2020 and like the election and just divisiveness and everything, New Brunfels feels rural, but it's not. Um, you're within a two and a half hour drive of something like nine million people's nine million people within a, a thirty to forty minute drive. You're 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 within um, you know Austin and San Antonio's influence, which is about three million people. And just as things got a little bit squirrely, I was kind of like, I don't know that I want to be that close to that many people, you know, if if like things go really sideways and that's kind of my doomsday bunkery, you know, uh, perspective and everybody in their cat was moving to Austin and I'm just contrarian enough for I'm like, okay, if everybody is moving here, then that kind of means I need to move somewhere, somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah. Yeah. I like people, but I like people on my terms. So yeah, it's kind of funny. And yeah. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with that. And I feel like people think that like the folks who think about doomsday are crazy until right until, <laughs> until the ball drops and then it's like, well, who are the ones who are prepared anyway? I guess. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we can dig right into that and just see if like we can talk about electrolytes at the end, but like, this is the real meat of the conversation here is sure. Let's start, let's start high level. So in the last year or so, obviously the world is drastically changing. Um, you and I, 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 I'll just say that I'm part of the same kind of community as you. I'll just like throw that out there because I'm trying to help people in my own humble way, you know, learn and empower themselves to be healthier, happier people. Right. And so we're trying to do this in a way that is now increasingly online and in, in a lot of cases, just sort of fear-based and people fighting so much over opinions and emotions versus fact. And it's becoming more and more difficult for people to parse through everything they're seeing and seeing what's real and what isn't. How has this environment changed the way that you are actually working and the the type of information that you're putting out now um, over the past year or so? It's a really good question. And it, it's, uh, it's been a little bit painful because I, you know, so I'm basically 22 years into doing online stuff. Like I can still find when I was on Dr. Squat's message board back in 98, 99, you know, it's hard to find this stuff, but you can see where I was in there, uh, you know, kind of cutting my teeth on, on this stuff. And I love interacting with people. I love asking questions. I love answering questions. That's the way that I've, I've learned so much over the years is if you get a little bit of a following or you just have a little bit of a tribe that you're with, like, you can only see so many things, have so many questions, but you get a group of a couple of hundred, couple of thousand smart people asking good questions. And man, the, the level of understanding can just really uh, rapidly accelerate. But over the course of time, just kind of the toxicity of that online environment has just gotten worse and worse such that it, it reached a point where 
I wasn't entirely sure if I wanted to stay in this line of work at all. You know, it's like, well, maybe I go get a physician's assistant deal and work in an HRT clinic or, you know, I mean, it, maybe I open a, another idea I've had is opening a, a cidery and a distillery and, and, you know, weaving that into some regenerative ag type stuff. Like I've had a couple of different ideas around things, but I do still feel like I've got a few important ideas. Uh, like I've been working on a medical risk assessment program for the better part of 10 years. And I don't know if I'm ever going to get it fully going, but I think there's some important pieces there and whatnot. So I still feel like I've got something to contribute in this, but the way that my work life has really changed. We launched this thing called the healthy rebellion, which is a, a private community uh, back right before, I don't know, maybe six months before COVID really really took off. And I, I didn't know if a paid community around mainly focused around like health information and, and resets and whatnot was going to have any type of traction. Like I, I, it was honestly kind of a coin toss. I, I thought this could go reasonably well, or it may be a complete plane into a mountainside. And, you know, ironically, the insanity of COVID and kind of the raise, the rise of a cancel culture and whatnot actually was really good for us. Like, I think people wanted to continue to have engagement, have some degree of community and, and uh, kind of have almost a news aggregator so they could kind of stay on top of things, but not be so buried in, you know, like the news feed of, of Instagram or Facebook or what have you. But what has happened is I've become almost exclusively broadcast only. Like I still have social media presence, but I mainly write up a little bit of something, give it to my assistant. She posts it. And then I don't answer questions. I don't really interact every once in a while. I'll get, get pulled into to something. Um, or if it's, if I feel like it's important enough, I will post it and I'll be available for like answering questions. But there was a time for years where I, I literally took it as my job to be available for people on these social media platforms to answer questions, whether it was a direct message or, or questions on the, on the front end. And it just reached this point where the toxicity just wasn't worth it. And, and uh, so I've defaulted to just almost a hundred percent broadcast only. And this is where like medium, like, like outstanding podcasts, like you have are great because smart people can ask me good questions and like a good dance partner, I can look competent because you actually steward this process well. So, it, you, you know, that's really cool. And, and then uh, just that, that healthy rebellion community is still where I can learn a lot from the community. And then also I feel like I can, I can give back. Like when people have questions and they're trying to navigate weight loss or, or dealing with different health concerns, interpreting blood work and stuff like that. Like, I feel like I can still help that, but it, that really changed a lot. And it was, it was weird because it, that is a complete departure from the previous 20 years of my work. You know, I mean, that was, I really took it seriously that I should be, a, a, most people try to figure out as quickly as possible how to be as minimally available as possible online, which is probably smart in some ways, but I kind of took the exact opposite approach. I'm like, no, it's part of my job to be available for these folks and to answer questions because it was a, a two-way street. I learned, the place that I learned the most was from people asking me those questions. So it was important to help people, but it was also where I, I, I felt like I I had the most interesting questions that would then foster my, my continued development and whatnot. So that that's been the largest change in my, my day-to-day -day work life is just about 99.9% .9 broadcast only at this point. 
Yeah. I think it's, I think it's an intelligent evolution for a couple of reasons. I mean, one for mental health, but also because, because of the kind of increasing vitriol of the like open online market, uh, you're actually going to be more effective if you can create an environment where it's really people who are there to ask valid questions, have valid conversations rather than, yeah, just like sort of the free for all that the internet is where you're going to, you are going to, like you said, get dragged in or dragged down or possibly waste your time with stuff that isn't going to be helpful because it's not people who are genuinely looking to learn or engage in a, you know, in a meaningful way. So um, this is really helpful for me because I'm kind of in a space where I'm sort of on the cusp of, of one and the other. Like I've got this podcast, mm-hmm. which is great. And I've got a, a nice little online following of people who tend to be generally pretty thoughtful, but I'm starting to feel that feeling um, that you mentioned about like, this could, this could drag me under if I let it, if I'm not careful. And so I think, mm-hmm. yeah, having, having a plan um, is a very, is a very good idea. Um, yeah. So, so in your community, what kinds of conversations and questions are happening that, again, may be different now than they would have been a year or two ago? Is it is it mostly centered around kind of the the political aspect of health these days or the online discourse issues we're having? Or are people still asking just straight up health and wellness questions? It's probably 80, 85% health and wellness. And then there, so we we have a a bunch of different categories, you know, like groups in there. We have a regenerative ag scene. We have a resiliency scene. So, which is a little bit of my, my doomsday bunker thing where we talk about like global economic trends and stuff. Like I'm not an economist, but I, I, I look at, I've been pretty good at seeing some trends coming uh, pretty far down the pike. Like uh, we had a bunch of uh, real estate agents as clients prior to the 2008, you know, meltdown. And I was like three years before that, I was talking to him about like, Hey, what are you doing for a rainy day? You know, what if this stuff slows down and oh, this is never slowing down, you know? And, and, uh, so we, we we cover some things like that. Um, we do have some COVID discussion. We have some uh, on that regenerative ag scene. Inevitably, the topic of climate change comes up, and particularly climate change as it relates to animal husbandry and you know like methane production and whatnot. And we just kind of drew up a kind of a rules of engagement, which is that we don't want anything overtly political. Like we don't need any like Trump memes or Biden memes or anything like that. We just don't need that. Like there's literally billions of locations to exercise those demons if you want to do that. But there are topics that are inherently political by their nature. So like if we're going to talk about a broken food system, there will be social political undertones to that. There has to be, or you're dealing with it at such a superficial level that you just kind of want to like piss in the wind. Like you're not actually looking for root cause solutions. So, you know, when we're talking about climate change, not infrequently, I will bring up the topic of nuclear energy and that people need to be better educated on that. And they, if they have a strong opinion about it at all, they should be able to describe the difference between a Gen 1 reactor versus a Gen 4, Gen 5 reactor and thorium energy and what all the implications are of that in lieu of the rare earth minerals that are mined to get uh, uh, solar panels and the, the fact that we get tons of thorium that is used as a 
that basically needs to be Superfund site buried underground and it could be used for, for nuclear fuel. So there's shit like that that, you know, can get people really upset, you know, like talking about nuclear energy, people get really, really spun out. And I, I just make the case that, yes, some of this stuff will be kind of social political in nature that is inherent to having an adult conversation around this, but we'll remain respectful. We draw the boundaries at we're just not going to openly have like some sort of like the Democrats suck, the Republicans suck, whatever. We just, we, we don't need that. Like that's not really tolerated. That's not really the place for having this, but we, we get into some pretty, some pretty spicy stuff, you know, like uh, just cancel culture, or, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, some of the implications around the, the, the broad recommendations for should children wear masks? Should children be vaccinated? You know, uh, do we, we, we talk uh, and I try to foster a lot a discussion around risk understanding, like understanding risk and, and mitigating risk and not falling into this this thing that I see online that, that both sides of the political spectrum seem to do which is they throw out this super simplistic statement that is like, well, if you just do this, then only good things will happen. And it, it's like, if we know anything from biology, everything is a trade-off. There's a trade-off to everything. And, and it doesn't always lead to the answer that you should do this versus that. Like there's a big discussion going on in there with people, should they get the vaccine or not? And we've done, I think, a pretty good job of analyzing risk and, and you know, trying to determine, you know, who are you and what's your situation and uh, people with autoimmune conditions probably have a different risk profile than somebody who doesn't have an autoimmune condition. Somebody that's 75 years old and metabolically unhealthy has a different risk profile than 25 year old who is metabolically healthy, you know, and, and, uh, trying to talk about that, also talk about some of the, uh, you know, it's not just individual risk, but broader societal risk. And I think that more than anything else, people don't really have a good venue for just talking about that stuff. We rarely end up arriving at some sort of like a concrete answer yeah. or a consensus, even like we have people on one side of a topic and another side of the topic and people respectfully kind of make their case. But what ends up happening is a consequence of that. People see these different things and then individually they're like, well, that makes sense to me. And this is going to be the, the decision that I make. And then other people look at kind of the other side and like, well, for me, this is the decision that, that makes sense for me. And so um, it, it's been interesting. A good number of people have, have said they're, I don't know what I would have done this last year had I not had a community like this to be able to just kick the can on these topics and have somewhere that I could ask a question and not have my head lopped off for like asking a question around like, should I use this, this technology that is evolutionarily novel and has never been tested on, on humans, you know, it, before. And I think that that's a, that's a reasonable question to ask. And it doesn't have to head into conspiracy theory land to both ask it and to respectfully unpack everything that we currently understand around it and leave some room for, well, we, you know, we're going to get, gain more information as, as all this stuff rolls forward. So wait a minute, you're telling me you've created a community of people who can have nuanced conversations with context and like respectfully disagree with each other and then move on with your life. I don't buy it. I don't, I don't buy that. That's a thing that can happen. These well, days. He, here's, here's the thing. It's capped at about a thousand people. 
Okay. So there is absolutely like a, that there is a, a, uh, there is fortunately or unfortunately some sort of a, you know, like, so Dunbar's number where we humans can only keep track of about 150 people. And then beyond that, it just all becomes anonymized and everything. There's a little bit of that, you know, where if it would, if we let it get to 5,000 people, it would be an absolute fucking disaster. Like it, it would undermine everything that we're trying to do in there. There would be a, a sufficient degree of anonymity that people would feel okay being dicks to one another. Mm -hmm. And so for, for right or wrong, like we kind of capped it at about a thousand, 1100 people and, and that's it. That's all it's ever going to be. And when one person leaves, then another person can, can enter and not, it's kind of interesting. We've had people leave and then they're gone for about three months and they're like, holy smokes, I had no idea that I was getting as much out of this as I, as I was. And, and a, a, I, I would say of everybody that signed up in there, we've probably had 50% of the people that peeled out end up coming back in because they were like, okay, I'm, I'm never leaving. Like I get it. Like this thing is a really valuable community and it's big enough that it's kind of self-sustaining. We're able to pay the, the support people to, to generate like resets and strength challenges and stuff so that we've always got something really interesting in there. It's never going to scale like a Facebook or a Twitter or something like that, where it's just some sort of like breakout successful unicorn. But I mean, if you've got a thousand people that you actually give a shit about and they care about you, like I did that, that's pretty incredible, you know, versus I've got a hundred thousand followers on Instagram and I know I have some loyal folks in there, but I also know that there are people in there that if I made one misstep, they would like, you know, nail me to the wall immediately. So it's like, I don't know how invested I am in that, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is my, this is my big friction point because I do tend to be somebody who's trying to like always look at like the end goal or the bigger picture. And, and what you just touched on, I think is, is really important that so many times we, we don't see the forest for the trees. And we're like, well, if we can't get everyone to have common sense, then what's even the point of this? Where of course there's a point, if we can help some people, it's better than trying and failing to help everyone and helping no one, you know? But Everybody. it, just, it yeah. just makes me think again about like, and especially in the States, we don't have a, a political system or a public discourse that in any way allows or encourages compromise and context and nuance. It has to be this way or that way. Everybody in between is, is either keeping their mouth shut because they're scared or irritated or they don't want to bother. And so it's just these these people on both sides screaming at each other in a way that they're, they don't even care that the other person hears or understands or it's getting through to them in any way. And so the question that I keep coming back to when I see a lot of the kind of conversations that are going on online, it seems like a lot of people, whether they have a, what I think is a great message or not, it's like we're speaking into, we're, we're preaching to our own choir, right? Like if I'm trying to tell people that regenerative mm -hmm. agriculture is a thing and eating truly nose to tail is good for the animals and the environment and the planet and our health and whatever, eating women eating protein and gaining muscle is good thing. I don't know why that's revolutionary, but anyway, I'm speaking to people who generally agree with me already, right? Whereas, and then I see people who are, you know, more popular in this world who are, are doing it in a much more aggressive and I think sometimes condescending way where I look at them and I'm like, 
I agree with everything you're saying and I'm still put off by the way you're saying it. And if I'm put off by it, then the people that you are ostensibly trying to reach, there's no way they're going to hear what you're saying because you're talking to them like they're an idiot or they're assholes. So it seems like we've lost the sense of what we're trying to do. And my question is, is it, is there, is there any purpose or any hope in actually trying to put out information where we are trying to convince people who are not on our side to come on our side? Is there any purpose? You know, cause I got a lot of questions from people on, on Instagram, uh, talk to, knowing I was going to talk to you that were saying, how do I convince my vegan friends that, you know, beef isn't the the problem and that regenerative agriculture is the thing and that vegan diets aren't going to fix the planet. How do I convince them? Should we even be trying? Yeah, I I think we, we should. I think we should always be careful to not, you just ask great questions. And I just, as an aside, this is why you have for a long time been one of my just absolute favorite people in this whole space, because you do an an amazing job of just like keeping your feet on the ground, thinking this stuff through, being kind, being logical. Like it's so rare. And both you and I are kind of middling success, right? Like, yeah, yeah, there are lots of people that would love to be where we're at, but there's lots of people that like absolutely beat the, the dog shit out of us with regards to reach. Absolutely. And a lot of their stuff is kind of fucking ridiculous when you get right down to it. You know, I mean, it, this was one of the things it, it uh, won't divert too much, but I would do all these posts where I would think about metabolic health or the fractal nature of our, our food and energy system. And I get a little bit of engagement and I'm almost 50. I'm kind of lean. I'm kind of muscular for like a balding old dude. And I would get orders of magnitude more engagement if I did a post-workout picture with a a, a kind of stringy old guy with a little bit of muscle and a modest amount of leanness versus like this really thoughtful thing. And I was like, this fucking sucks. Like I, I, I fuck all you guys. I'm over this, you know? And, but then there are a lot of people that there, there is a, there is a good number of people that are silently taking all this in and they're like, that person's pretty cool. I like what's going on there. And, you know, on say like just this regenerative ag front and like tackling this huge gnarly topic of climate change, you know, and is animal husbandry the primary driver of climate change? No, it is not. And, and like Diana and I did a good job of laying that out in the book. There are other people, God, just the other day, one of the main climate scientists in the world, one of these guys that is really like ringing the bell, like we need to do some things around climate change. He came out and said, stop demonizing animal products the way that you guys are doing. It is not accurate the way you are portraying it. If we focus all this effort on animal products, we will not focus on the things that really matter. And I was just like blown away. And part of this happened because a good number of well-informed people were like, hey man, all these experts, including like World Health Organization and, and uh, Eat Lancet, are making all these claims and it was kind of boots on the ground, average people, someone with an Instagram following of 500 or a thousand people pinging this guy again and again and again, and respectfully and accurately pointing out these authorities are making this claim 
my understanding is that the the real you know numbers so like there have been numbers thrown out that uh 78 percent of greenhouse gases are attributable to grazing animals it's it's closer to like two percent and even that is part of a biogenic system where like carbon goes out of the atmosphere it becomes part of plants animals eat it the animals either release it as part of uh you know methane via cellulosic fermentation or they breathe it out as carbon dioxide or they get eaten themselves and then that carbon dioxide it's part of a cycle so it needs to be accounted for in a different way mm -hmm. and it was it, it doesn't take that many well-informed reasonable kind respectful people instead of bum rushing this guy and being jerks to him just saying hey my understanding is this can you comment on it and he's like no you are absolutely correct and so now we have this arguably one of the world's experts and i'm just blanking on the guy's name i'll, I'll try to get it for the show notes because the uh the twitter feed is really powerful he came out and said, we must stop this demonization of animal products in the way that we're doing. Do we need to make some changes to the food system? Yes. Is recommending that we wholesale do away with grazing animals in particular, an appropriate response? No, the science doesn't support that. Nothing about it will end up being good for the, the planet or for human health or, or for economies or anything else. So I do think it matters. It, it, I will admit that some days it just feels like completely pissing into a gale force wind and, and uh, you know, with all the rights and privileges that you get from that, you know, but I do actually think it matters um, to the degree that, you know, the vegans have been successful is that they've got this army of people that have this this message and a very contiguous message uh, if you eat vegan you'll live forever you'll be skinny and beautiful you'll be morally superior um you're not killing animals and you're going to save the planet and it, it's so easy and compelling we unfortunately don't have the luxury of a bunch of half truths and outright lies we actually have to broker in facts and reality. <laughs> so we, we, we each discussion, we get to have a mini PhD, you know, a dissertation in economics, thermodynamics, ecology to accurately describe what's going on here. But if we get a couple of thousand people that can be the voice behind that, and then maybe they start blogging and they start podcasting and they interview experts and talk about this, it, it will matter. That's the only way that, because otherwise, I mean, this isn't a conspiracy theory at all. This is a, a, and I don't say fact very often, but all of standard media, all of social media is completely aligned against animal husbandry as a beneficial factor in human health and a global food system. Like that is a statement of fact. Are there pieces of it that need to be fixed? Absolutely, yes. But the, the supposition that abandoning it wholesale will be a net win for humanity is a lie. It is a falsehood. And it is something that if we, we embark down that, that path, it, it is going to be generationally negatively impactful, you know, and, and, uh, and it will divert a lot of attention away again from the things that we should be focusing on around climate change that, that, that could really move the needle and could really matter. Yeah. So yeah, I do think it matters. I do think it, it, it matters to put that information out to people. And again, is, is God, I can, I can do the the it, social media beatdown where I make people look like dummies and you know talk them in circles and everything, and I really and I get a certain self satisfaction out of it in the moment. But I I, I can't do it. Like this is another thing that we as a community 
have to do. We have to engage with these people respectfully. We have to raise the the standard of the conversation like we just have to. And, and I know I have failed on that many times, but I really, there've been many, many times of late in the last year, year and a half where I wrote one thing and I deleted it. And then I went back through and I wrote this as, as if this was actually somebody sitting across the table from me that I wanted to have a lifelong relationship with. And oftentimes it doesn't go anywhere with that person, but there are always other people watching. And then we have to set that standard to, so that, you know, somebody's got to set a standard. Who else is like, Facebook isn't going to do it for us. You know, mainstream media isn't going to set that standard for us. Their algorithms are, are incentivized to, to pit us against one another. So, yeah. Okay. Well, it makes me feel a little bit better. I mean, listen, we're none of us perfect. All of us have, have sunk into the level of just that, because there is that, it feels a little bit good in a bad way sometimes to just unleash on somebody who's full of shit, but I completely agree with you. I generally do not. Um, but I think, you know, it, it's, it warms my heart to be reminded that there is a silent group out there that is watching and listening and using common sense. And I appreciate that. Um, but going back to sort of the, the, this black or white, because there is an obvious problem with our mass produced, food system that means that we should wipe it out entirely and no one should ever eat a cow again and we should just eat beyond meat burgers like this black and white dichotomy kind of situation that keeps coming up that is worrisome to me um one of the things that i think i go back to and i stress out about is that although we are in the most modern time that we've ever existed, we have more technology, we have more information, we have more access to resources and fact um, when we can get it, this technology is also allowing us to, to spread more misinformation to um, and to also in a mm -hmm. way that I feel like is unique. I don't know if it's unique. Maybe you tell me if, if like you feel like this has been happening for a while. It's just more apparent now. But this flagrant um, disregard of a reality in favor of just your emotions about something, right? Because like you just talked about how much of an easier sell it is to, to promote veganism, right? Because it's so much nicer and Disney appropriate to not kill animals and eat them. Um, so obviously the opposite must be true that eating animals is evil and inhumane and terrible and, and unnatural. Um, but even if you could provide someone with, with just overwhelming amount of information to the contrary, that it, that it isn't bad for the planet and humanity and your individual health and all of these things to eat animals, they can still just say it's wrong and it's bad. And that's the non-starter. That's it. So when emotion and your own personal beliefs that come from wherever they come from will always trump information and science and fact, um, where do we go from there? Is it, is it, does it go back to, yes, you can change some minds, but there are just some minds that you're not going to, and you just need to let that go. I, I think that last statement there, it, you know, like we, we can, you know, we'll influence the people we can influence. And then there, there will be some people that we don't. And I think that that paints the world that probably you and I largely grew up in. I think that the big difference with that now is that between, and again, this is going to count, sound a little conspiracy theory, but 
the relationships between mainstream media, social media, um, the relationships that social media has to pharmaceutical giants, to food production giants like uh, Google. I forget which direction this went, but there was an exchange of nearly a billion dollars between Google and GlaxoSmithKline. Like they are now wedded together. And um, there was a Forbes piece that made the case that you you could or probably should look at Google now as a pharmaceutical company because the relationships that they have and whatnot. There was a time when, you know, somebody could write a, a, a New York Times editorial piece and that went out and some people agreed, some people disagreed, but there was not, but there was always an alternate you know, place to get a, a different opinion or to talk about or what have you. We're now in a spot where not infrequently, if you talk about climate change in anything other than just like we are doomed, we must um, prevent the developing world from developing. We must abandon animal husbandry wholesale or, or that will doom us. Nuclear energy might actually be of benefit in this whole story. Most of that type of discussion gets banned outright or shadow banned. Like your reach, your ability to to reach people gets gets uh, dramatically decreased. Um, you're called all kinds of names, you know, for suggesting that you know, like uh, uh, climate change has been wrapped now into a variety of kind of social justice topics. So somebody who is saying, I think that animal husbandry may actually be good for the environment, not infrequently, is now also called a white supremacist because there is this weird, like there's been these crazy, you know, things uh, uh, kind of pasted together. And it's been done in a way to shut people up, to shut them down in a way that I I don't think has been seen outside of like uh, Soviet era Russia or Pol Pot's, you, you know, Khmer Rouge in, in Cambodia. And I think that that's the real danger at this point. And a, a good number of people have been like, oh, you're just paranoid and you're, you know, you're seeing things that don't exist there. But I know for a fact, small, small time uh, uh, regenerative ag producers, people who sell this meat at, at farmers markets and whatnot, they, they report and there, there are news pieces talking about this that are, are credible, that they get shadow banned. Their material gets shut down when they talk about slaughtering an animal and, and you know, kind of the process. And when they're processing chickens or whatnot, that stuff will get reported as offensive and then it just disappears. And, and so then this one way that we could have some inroads of the regenerative system becoming more mainstream and changing the food systems in a meaningful way becomes virtually impossible. You know, so I think that that is definitely what has changed it. There is a a very powerful narrative about what we accept as being true. Like the science, you know, people will say the science is settled. Science is never settled on anything. Like we have a great description of how gravity affects the world around us, whether gravity is a particle, a particle and a wave, whether it is a indentation in space-time, we still don't know the exact mechanisms of what gravity is, although the theory of gravity is very well, you you know, it's one of the best fleshed out things that we we have. If we launch a rocket into space and we know its its direction and its speed, we can predict with amazing accuracy where it's going to be in a hundred thousand years, you know? So, 
but still there's pieces that we add to all of this stuff. So I, I, I may just be kind of wandering in circles at this point, but um, I think that there, there was a time when we could just kind of, you know, make our statement, make our case. And to some degree, people would kind of factionalize and along the lines that, that made sense with them. But they're, they're, the scary thing for me at this point is that virtually everything that I kind of believe in or advocate for is on the bad side of the tech oligarchy scene. You know, like nothing about my nutrition jibes with them. Um, nothing about my views of like animal husbandry and regenerative agriculture, nothing about what I talk about with regards to energy infrastructure. Um, none of it really fits with that. So virtually every single thing I do is in this kind of chopping block scenario where if I, if I overstep or, or, you know, I catch enough attention, then I will get enough complaints that, well, may, you know, we, we, uh, two and a half years ago, we got caught up in that, that Google owl update and our, our robwolf.com site traffic dropped by 97% overnight. You know, we effectively disappeared from the internet. If somebody where we, we used to rank as number one or top search return for hundreds of different things, it, we effectively disappeared from the internet. So like 12 years of work building all these link backs and everything basically disappeared. And uh, the explanation for it was really shoddy. You know, we, we constantly update the website and we even go back and update the old material to put a fresh coat of paint on it and make it more relevant with um, current, current research and whatnot. So it's uh, that part is pretty, pretty disturbing because if you, I don't know, maybe you and I are wrong. Maybe planet of the vegans is the only answer. Maybe eating nose to tail is like this horrible, morally bankrupt kind of, kind of deal. But I, I, I don't, think it is and um but we're we're being afforded very little opportunity to really to if we are wrong we're just being shut down we're not actually being allowed a a legit engagement to like kind of flush us out and for you and i to arrive at this thing where it's like ah oh, okay i get it i i never considered this other thing it's just being made to go away and here's kind of an interesting aside when in history have the good guys ever been on the side of censorship ever i mean like fucking ever ever I you know granted there are like there are wartime deals where like uh, you know i i know during the blitz of london where um there were some half truths and whatnot conveyed to people and and so you know uh, to kind of prevent mass panic and stuff like that so it, it, it's not a hundred percent airtight case but by and large, when, when you start encountering the censorship culture, those are the bad people, like the really bad people. All right. I'm interrupting the podcast, but it's for a good reason. I'm talking about snacks, guys. Okay. Very important topic, a uh, topic that is near and dear to my heart because no matter how strict or healthy or crazy I get with my diet, I like to eat and I like snacks and I like treats that are healthy, that make me feel good, that don't make me feel like crap, but also I know are giving me nutrition and don't taste like I'm settling for something healthy. So all that to say, I'm very excited that we have yet another new partner for the show. This is a company that I've actually been a fan of for a really long time, um, but just recently connected with and learned a bit more about how they do things. Um, 
how high quality and next level their products actually are. Um, I was always impressed with them, but even more so now that I've had time to chat with the founder, Autumn Smith, co-founder of Paleo Valley. Um, They make a number of supplements, which I can talk about at a later date. You can go check everything out at paleovalley.com. But I'm talking today about their superfood bars and their 100% grass-fed fermented beef sticks. They're so delicious. They come in a bunch of flavors. Um, I've been eating the beef sticks and their chocolate, I think double chocolate superfood bars, um, dark chocolate chip, that's right, uh, every day um, because they sent them to me and I'm thinking, okay, these are grass-fed bone broth protein. They've got a ton of superfoods, including things like greens and broccoli and like greens powders, kale, stuff like that, which normally I'd be like, yeah, that's not really for me. I just give me the protein and the meat and the chocolate. Um, but these bars are really good. They taste like food. They don't taste like a lot of the um, sort of healthy or low carb or keto bars out there that are just full of like lab created sugars and chemicals. Um, they've got a ton of health benefits, blueberries, turmeric, ginger, Himalayan uh, salt, pumpkin seeds, and then of course chocolate. Um, So they've got protein, they're pretty low carb, decent amount of fat, they're just delicious. Um, Gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, all of that, low in sugar. Um, So they're delicious. And if you are somebody like me who wants to eat chocolate from time to time, who likes a protein bar when they, you know, go out for the day and want to have a snack, this is absolutely the kind of product that I think would be great for you. Um, So check them out. Go to paleovalley.com. I have a discount code. It's MMR. So that's Muscle Maven Radio, MMR for 15% off. Um, They're just awesome treats to have around, snacks to have on the go. If you're an outdoorsy person, if you, you know, don't want to wait to get home and make your own food or go to the gas station and get whatever nightmare they have there. This is the kind of smart snacking that you want to do. So I'm super impressed with this company. I will continue to tell you more about them and what they offer um, as we move forward, but just kind of wanted to put this note um, out there. If you're a snacker like me, this is kind of one of the best ways you can, you can do it. So go check out Paleo Valley. I appreciate that they are partnering with me and supporting the show, paleovalley.com, code MMR, get on it, dark chocolate chip superfood bar. So good. All right. Now back to the show. I mean, and listen, I, I just, that is another thing that I, I, yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, trying to bury the people who think anything different than you, it's not a good look. It does kind of speak to a lack of maybe confidence in your own ability to win the argument if the argument were allowed to be had, I think. Um, But I mean, going back to the concept of like this misinformation for the silent majority, probably silent majority of people in the middle who consider themselves to have common sense and to not be too dogmatically aligned with one extreme or another. um, One of the things that worries me more than even these sort of like bigger, grander forms of censorship is the really subtle stuff the peop- that, that people don't notice on first glance, you know, because there's, there's stuff like what you're talking about. There's stuff like uh, Kit Kat coming out with a, a vegan bar, be- a vegan Kit Kat bar, because they care about the environment and our health. And I feel like most people can see that for what it is, for the complete bullshit that it is, right? But 
there are other examples that are a lot more insidious, that are a lot easier to to bypass and not notice that are changing how we think about the world. And like just a couple little examples, you see them all day, every day, but I'm paying special attention to it. It's like an article about how pregnant women can healthily get enough protein. And it's just a list of like edamame, soybean snacks and peanut butter. And they don't say protein, like animal protein is bad. You should avoid it. They just don't even mention it. It's not even a part of the conversation that this is how women would get their most easy bioavailable best bang for your buck amino acid profile. They don't even talk about it. It's just peanut butter and chickpeas. You know, it's stuff like that. And it's stuff like the 11 Madison Park, this incredibly influential restaurant going vegan and Epicurious, this really, really well-known online website uh, that's now saying, you know, we're just not going to talk about beef, not because we hate beef. We just care about the world. We just care about health and the environment. And, you know, people coming back and saying, geez, meat eaters, if you're that worked up, like go somewhere else. It's the message it's the subtle message that it's sending. Cause it's not saying it's not taking that stance of angry vegan saying that you're all killing the world. It's just subtly removing this this entire part of the conversation, that's what worries me. So how do we, how do we get around that? How do we, and so this, okay, sorry. And now I'm ranting. It goes back to the conversation, the question that was asked about how do those of us in the middle consider ourselves to be commonsensical human beings? How do we now- Not crazy, yeah. Not totally crazy anyway, at least not all the time. How do we, how are we able to go online and parse through this and see what is, what is real? How do we determine what's real? How do we determine what isn't completely biased, special interest based? Like, how do we know? Like, because I I just know for a fact, dealing with a lot of women and female clients and trying to convince them to eat protein, that they would look at that list of like protein heavy sources of quinoa and be like, yeah, that checks out. That sounds good. That's light. That's healthy. That's, that's what I should do. And they wouldn't even consider, you know, what they're missing. So what do we do in this case now? That gets trickier. And that's part of the reason why the messaging has shifted this way, because it's a much more subtle approach. Uh, Diana Rogers has talked about this a lot. You know, this is the danger of like the meatless Mondays and stuff like that. And, and, uh, less meat, better meat. And this is where the meat elitists, um, end up being, you know, like I'll, I'll throw Dave Asprey under the bus. Like he, he was in this interview and, and, uh, he said grass fed meat only. And the, you know, someone said, well, what if people can't afford it? And he said, they should fast. And it's like, for how fucking long? Like, come on, <laughs> Dave. Like, are you it? that disconnected from the world? Yeah, until they can afford it. Yeah. It, it, you know, whereas like a, a family living at the margins, they should be looking at feeding their family the most nutrient-dense food that they can so that they are healthy and their kids are healthy. And then they can, you know, maybe they reach some economic point where they can they can support local grass-fed, you know, pasture-finished stuff. But like that meatless Monday thing is really interesting because people will say, well, what's, what's wrong? Can't you just do a salad one day? And what they don't understand is you start having impacts like the New York City public school system set something like 70% of the kids are, are considered to be low income. Something like 10 to 20% of the kids are considered to be homeless. Literally the only meal they may get in a given day is at school. And as 
garbagey as the mystery meat is that those kids get, you and I both know, and it's very easy to kind of detail this out, the nutrient deficiencies that we see from veganism are indistinguishable from the nutrient deficiencies that we see in developing countries where people have inadequate access to food in general and animal products in particular. It's B vitamin deficiencies, iron deficiencies, zinc deficiencies, and in children, if they are deficient in B vitamin, zinc, iron in their developmental stage, that's permanent. The neurological impairment there is done. You're never fixing that. That is encoded at, at the, you know, the base level. And so it's a, it, I'm not entirely sure how to counter that other than we need to mention pieces about, no, it is actually virtually impossible to raise a human from conception to adulthood, or at least, you, you know, adolescence, absent animal products. There are innumerable studies showing the nutrient deficiencies that these kids have. It was a fascinating study among Finnish vegan families and their, their uh, average income, their median income for these families was like $200,000 a year, super wealthy super well-educated. It was like an average income, average income was 200,000. Average education was like a master's plus some extra. And the nutrient deficiencies among these families, particularly the children were just jaw dropping. And they've got access to every bit of infrastructure and resource you could imagine. And, it, it, and these vegan families were like going above and beyond. The researchers mentioned that like the families were so compliant in conveying information because they really wanted to, to get the beauty of their, their you know, vegan diet out to the world. And they were just jaw dropped with, when they, they saw the results that their, their kids were nutrient deficient and they were giving them vitamins and, you know, like distilled, um, uh, you know, micro distilled uh, uh, DHA for algae and all this stuff. And they, they were low in those, they were low in the zinc, low in the iron. Um, so we, that is kind of the, the repo stay. And, you know, it, this sounds terrible, but part of my, my thing is actually like in jujitsu, if somebody's trying to sweep you, you can either like base out and get really heavy and maybe you prevent it. But my, my coach, John Frankel has this other thing where you should go further, faster, easier. So if somebody's trying to make you go right, go right really fast and then use that to turn, turn, you know, that against them. And to some degree, what I think we should do for a generation is just say veganism is the best thing ever for pregnant moms and for babies. And you, that is literally the only way that you should do this because what have the vegans been able to do this whole run? They lie and they lie and they lie. And, and it, this is kind of more like <laughs> straight. Usually I'm a little more circumspect and scientific about this stuff, but it really, when we get right down to it, they lie about the relative and absolute risk of meat consumption and cancers and about diabetes. And there's all this bullshit. But I tell you what, you take a generation of westernized kids from well-to-do families that are fed a vegan diet and they have massive developmental difficulties and delays and health issues. You won't bury that in subsequent studies. So it's almost reached this point where I'm like, well, if you're going to make an omelet, you got to break some eggs. And so the people that are ill enough informed to think that this is a good idea, which are mainly going to be like the white, woke, well-to-do people, they're going to have a generation of kids that are fucked up. And this may be the thing, like instead of fighting it, 
I almost feel like we should, you and I on the back end, we should create a bunch of websites and a bunch of Instagram accounts and just push veganism for pregnancy wholesale. And then we just have to sit back and wait five years. And then when all of these problems come through, then this thing will be put to bed. Finally, it will, it, it, it will. We also but, understand that the end of life stuff, like older people, if. Would it though? Yeah. So, so what it? I'm saying is we may need to sacrifice a few to save the many. But would it, or. I don't know, people, maybe not. This is again, with like with our culture, with North American culture, our ability to double down on our beliefs, no matter how shitty they're working for us knows no bounds. So I, I almost wonder if that wouldn't work, you know, like I'm so I have I'm so jaded at this point that common sense will eventually even after generations prevail. I don't know if it would. I feel like there'd be some they'd figure some reason around it. Why it's maybe it's the water. Maybe it's the you know, I don't know The whoever's in charge now is putting something through the Internet. I don't know. I just feel like I feel like there'd always be because again we aren't we aren't dealing with logic. We're not dealing with logic, or else they'd realize that all these studies that they're pushing about how meat causes cancer are thirty years outdated, and they'd they'd understand that the at the end of the day, it's basic amino acid profiles. We're not talking about this stuff because we hate vegetables. We're talking about it because protein is a superior animal. Protein is a superior source of nutrients than than plants are. Like you know, so I just I don't think. I, I don't even know if that it's a very sneaky insidious plan. I'm impressed by it. I just don't know if it would work. I don't know. This is why thus far my efforts have been for the good of society, but there might be Switch like a Dr. Evil moment where I'm like, eh, fuck it. I'm good. <laughs> like we're, we're good. And this is one of those things where, where I'm just kind of like, Maybe we just don't fight this. Maybe we just double down on it. I, I don't know. You raise really good points, but yeah. um, I will say this, that if uh, people in mass have problems with their kids, if their kids have impossible to hide developmental challenges and health problems and whatnot, and as, as uh, uh, sprightly as people are at, at letting you know that they're vegan, and, and then you, you go back through and start surveying that with a retrospective study five, six years from now, after we, we have a couple of million moms do this. I don't know. I, that's my thought though. Like that is, that, that is my thought because it would be as, as it stands right now, it, it's amazing gymnastics that, that have to occur to make meat look like it's bad for people, like the amount of massaging and ridiculous. It's amazing what goes on. And yeah. this would be so straightforward, so obvious, and so in complete contrast to um, data that we've had in the past. And then if we we have uh, separate cohorts of people that are just eating a standard mixed diet and you're not seeing the same rates of like neurological impairment, uh, loss of stature, immune impairment and whatnot, but it's pretty fucked up because you're like you and I to enact that we would both be, you know, if we develop these websites and whatnot, basically saying, yeah, go vegan, vegan moms all the way, vegan kids, vegan infants. Um, we would know that we would be harming people, Yeah, but yeah. would it be for the greater good yeah. at that po point? Because Otherwise, this thing just keeps going on and on and on. Yeah.
Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to do the much I don't, less. I don't talk about shit like that too much, but <laughs> no, I like it. I mean, listen, super, super villain. Rob Wolf is, is compelling. Um, and you know, again, I, I am always kind of getting mad at myself for not doing the kind of more like sexy clickbait stuff that I see some of my peers doing. And I just, I can't, I don't want to fall victim to it because I know how tempting it is and how easy it is. And so instead of kind of going that route, I'm trying to do the other much less effective version of simply living by example and like eating liver all the time and enjoying really robust health. And eventually, and people do, people do come to me and say like, Oh shit, I've been vegan for 10 years and I am a nightmare. Like I'm trying to, to do something differently. Can you help me? And instead of being like, see, you fucking idiot. You know what I mean? I'm like, yes, welcome. Welcome to the dark side. Come and eat some liver with me and see how it goes. You know, I'm trying. Yeah. Well, and I mean, again, um, you stood out long ago to me because of your message and the way that you, you did things. And I was like, she's buttoned up like she gets it and it, maybe it's confirmation bias too maybe we're both idiots and so we were like we're idiots together you know so I, I as a scientist i want to acknowledge that but i think that it's actually like you you have integrity and you you understand the source material and you think this stuff through and this is just something to noodle on this in some ways also shows how damn compelling that that dopamine responses to engagement and likes and all this stuff. So like you and I do something and maybe it really is impacting people. Maybe we are punching way above our, our weight category with this because there's there's pretty interesting examples. There was this great uh, medium piece that was talking about this gal, beautiful gal. She's a model, um, but she was she was trying to sell some sort of a t-shirt and she couldn't sell 20 t-shirts and she had like 3 million Instagram followers. Mm -hmm. But the following was, there was nothing real there. There was no engagement. And I mean, like, I, this is gonna sound terrible, but I honestly think I could get my dog to shit between the folds of like 21 t-shirts and I could sell those just based off of like, people would be like, what the hell? Like, uh, uh, you know, Dutch is a great dog. I'll, I'll take a, a shat upon t-shirt from a Rhodesian rig. Like, you know, I'm being a little facetious, but mm -hmm. I, so he's a good dog. Um, I think that you and I probably punch way above our weight class because I don't, you know, I horse some element. I'm very crystal clear about like, there's nothing magical about the salt we use. It's convenient. It tastes good. Here's a homebrew mix. If you want to do it yourself, just, just get your electrolytes on point. That's all I really care about, but I don't go to that well very often. Like I, I you know, so like, and, and neither do you. And so I think that when we do ask people for, Hey, let's do some support here. Let's try to do this or that. We actually get some pretty good buy-in, you know? Um, so I think that there is that other piece and I, I but I, yeah, I think it speaks to how um, powerful that dopamine click response is to the degree that even you and I were like, well, what am I literally chopped liver? Like, what, you know, we're not, and we're not having the impact that we feel like we, we should have. And maybe we are, but it's just manifesting in a very um, different way than what is incentivized within these, these kind of social media circles.
Yeah. I appreciate that. This has been a really excellent um, Rob Wolf pep talk for me. I, I, I do appreciate that because sometimes I need to hear it. But you make a good point, right? About like the element being like, look, I made this cool product. It works. It tastes good for those of you dummies like myself who will go four hours in the afternoon without taking a sip of water. And then I wonder why I have a headache. This is convenient for me, but you don't need it. You can just salt your food like a normal human being. And like, this is the way I felt about my book for the longest time. People were, were messaging me and they're like, how do I cook uh, chicken liver or hearts or whatever? And I was just like, I don't know, put it in a skillet with some butter guys. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. I don't have a recipe, just eat it. And then I realized I was like, people are asking me for more information. Like now I can provide a product that may in some ways benefit me and is also definitely going to benefit these people. And I think when things come about like that in that organic way, neither of us are pretending that this isn't a part of our brand or a company, you know, part of what we do and we're trying to sell it. But I think the fact that it originated from this like very just pragmatic place of like, look, it's a resource, take it or leave it. You can also do it an easier way if you want, but like if you're not going to, you might as well buy this product, right? I think that makes sense. Um, I do have one more kind of like bigger topic here that we've been touching on a little bit that I, I do want to ask you about before I let you go, because I, I want to be respectful of your time, but I just, I, I really appreciate you being here. And I know folks are going to be excited to hear all of your, your thoughts. And I think one of the things we've been talking about a little bit here at the end with the like ridiculous hipster, white, vegan, pregnant moms and stuff. It goes back to a, a topic that is important to me in that my audience or a lot of the audience that I'm trying to reach is women, um, helping them improve their health. Um, because from, again, a pragmatic perspective, women make up the majority of the consumer market, right? Women are buying food for their families. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Women are being targeted in terms of like, are you taking care of your kids properly? Are you making sure your kids are healthy and they're not eating the wrong thing? Um, and we also, of course, are, are in, a, in a way, I mean, listen, guys have a lot um, of pressure as well to look good and be manly and all that stuff. But we definitely bear the brunt of like diet culture and eating to look a certain way and all of these things. Right. So and that's why I think that our beliefs, women's beliefs around meat being heavy or something that I, you know, I just can't eat that much of because it's this decadence and it's not good for me and all that stuff that tends to be more pervasive because we are more directly targeted to about eating, you know, laughing with salad and shit like that because, and, and it, it works because they've been doing it forever. And women still are coming to me saying, I can't eat protein because it's too heavy and it's going to make me fat and it's going to clog my arteries. So I'm trying to, my next book, I'm writing another book that's going to be protein forward and it's whatever, but it's really speaking to women. I want to get these books in the part, in the section of Barnes and Noble, that's, it's called healthy eating or something or healthy recipes. And the whole thing is just women holding acai bowls or like quinoa bowls, right? And this book that's all about organ right. meats, I know I'm on a high horse right now, but like this book that's all about organ meats, which are again, the most nutrient dense foods on the planet is stuck away in some dusty corner that says specialty ingredients, okay? Because, because it's weird, it's extreme. And it's like, that's, that's another one of those kind of like indirect marketing, right? Where, you know, nothing in that section is saying meat is terrible, although maybe it is, but the, the lack of it is what is sending this message to women that 
you know, the, the three mm -hmm. books that are about barbecuing and meat have like a big guy on the front and there's fire and everything's black and red. And it's talking about cooking manly shit and stuff. So I'm trying to go the other way and, and just try to like bring a little bit of like common sense and just look, Hey, I'm seem like I'm pretty normal for the most part. I'm a woman I'm eating protein. I'm not dying or sprouting a beard. So all of this ranting is just to say, how do we, I do think that there is a specific market and target, um, that, that is, you know, it's women who are being especially misinformed and they're harder, I think, to change their minds because it's so wrapped up in morality and judgment and how they're taking care of their families and stuff. So how can we, or do we in any way try to reach out to them differently? Um, is, are we doing something wrong as a community that we're still having such pushback from women um, to eat animal protein and stuff like that? Like, what do you think about that? Does it, is that something that kind of comes up in your community at all? Hmm. That is really heady, good stuff. I wish Nikki was on, on the call right now to get her thoughts on this. Um, one, I, I think you're doing you and, and some folks like you are just doing amazing work. Um, I'm a balding middle-aged dude that was, you know, um, <laughs> you know, I am what I am. Uh, you are smart, good looking, a go-getter. Um, you. you can speak to this stuff in a way that I never can. Like I, I just can't. And, and that's good. That's really good. You know, that, uh, uh, you, you represent this, this whole worldview and this way of doing things, it, you know, I, I'm reflecting so much stuff comes into our sphere and like, I have like Evernote and all this and I try to, oh, that's really interesting. I try to, but there was this thing that was talking about Marilyn Monroe and like when she would start feeling like she was getting a little bit pudgy, she would eat steak and liver yes. and she would do steak one day, liver and onions the other. And she just rotated through that and like, uh, okay. N equals one granted, but like there was also a time when like the standard of care for somebody that was a little overweight, you remove starches and you, you focus on meats and, you know, poultry and all that type of stuff. Um, how many people, I mean, there were, my mother's generation or maybe before that, uh, liver and sweetbreads and, and, uh, maybe even some kidney and, and different, um, uh, you know, like uh, uh, things like menudo and, and, and things like that, that, uh, you know, that was more normal. And then we had, or, or more part of the, the day to day. And then we had a generation or two where all that stuff just basically disappeared. And now we're having this kind of resurgence in this. I think you're doing great. It's just, you are facing literally the full court press of all of industrialized food all of pharmaceutical world, all of the press around climate change. Like you are battling that at the main interface of where consumer spending habits occur. You are the fucking, the, the, the thin red line between chaos and, and turning this thing around. So it's, to me, it's no wonder that you feel overwhelmed because literally every outlet on the planet is articulating a message contrary to what you are putting forward. Yeah. 
and I'm I'm not I I don't I I think messaging wise, um, uh, involving kids is always great. Like you know, Maria Emmerich has done a great job with this when when she includes her kids with with stuff. Um, before we had kids, I always referred people to Sarah Fergoso and some of our other friends because when you don't have kids, you're the asshole without kids that is not allowed to comment on kids, even if you know some stuff. But then once you have kids, then automatically you're an expert, even though you know nothing about the situation whatsoever. <laughs> you're, you're going through it for the first goddamn time, you know, but yeah. somehow you you are assigned expertise on this stuff. But yeah. I think kids are an interesting angle and they're kind of a, a dual point thing in that it kind of gives um, permission for people to bring this stuff in for their own kids. It's setting up the next generation. So it's not just infinite army of, of planet of the vegans that there's this other, you know, uh, uh, you know, our, our kind of ancestrally eating kids. Um, yeah. I would argue that there are probably more people, uh, particularly in Westernized societies that are thinking about these topics than have happened in 40 years, you know, uh, used to, but even then used to, it was just part of what people did in part, because that's what they had to do. We weren't wealthy enough to throw away the best parts of the animal. And now yeah. we are, yeah. and, and there's a, a tragedy associated with that, but, um, yeah. Okay. You're, I mean, you to make, some degree, I think it's just chop wood. You, you're making valid points. Anya Fernald's another good example. Um, the founder of Belcampo who's, you know, yeah. has a yeah. family is a woman who is just checked out and she's very unapologetic about, um, the information that she's putting out there. But I mean, you, yeah, you make a good point. It's like, we are the thin red line, no pressure, but it's pretty apt. Um, so maybe I am an idiot. Maybe I should just move to Montana and create and just stay off Instagram. I mean, I, it's starting to sound, it's starting to sound really appealing. I'll keep you posted on this. I mean, I'm, I'm up in Canada right now. So I am basically like in the middle of the woods there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm basically yeah. in the middle of the woods. Do you hunt? I do. I do. Okay. I do some bow hunting and I do some rifle hunting. I, I my real passion is spear fishing though. Like okay. it, that, that is like, I will die of hypothermia someday spear fishing. So, yeah. You put, you put yeah. the atlatl down you? though. You put the atlatl down. Uh, the atlatl requires a remarkable amount of practice to stay current on it. And yeah. some of the things I hunt, I need to get it the first time and, yeah. and not, not just like piss it off. So yeah, I, I, yeah. I'll, I'll, me and the kids will actually hook the atlatl around a little bit in the front yard, but yeah. yeah also it's illegal true. most places to hunt with an atlatl. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's yeah. pretty hardcore. It's pretty gnarly. I, um, I did just get like this past season, I got my, um, hunter safety course and firearm license and all of that stuff so that I can do it. I'm not, I'm not upgrading to bow hunting. I'm going to use the rifle first and then kind of see where that goes and start small and work my way up. But like I said, I'm, I'm currently in Ontario, which is just like, I mean, pick your animal, pick your large game, small game, all of it. It's all here. And, uh, I've been told that bear fat, I don't know if you've had it, if you're lucky, but I've been told that bear fat is like the fat of the gods, like just the best. And so of course now I got to get a bear first, but I'm very excited to make some pastries with, with bear fat because apparently it's amazing. So I'm going to, I guess that's my new goal. It's, it's off the chain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gonna work it's on amazing. It. Yeah. Um, 
Rob, I, you know, I could keep you here all day, but I won't. Um, thank you so much for, for doing this um, and just kind of working through some of these things with me. Because like you said, with your community, it's not like you're getting on there and like, okay, well, here's the answer now. We are all in agreement and it's great. But I do think that that having these conversations, it it's important. It continues to be important. And if we don't do it, then I'll just silently stew and, and get worked up and, and question what I'm doing. And that's not helping me and it's not helping the people that I'm trying to help. So um, I appreciate you kind of talking me down in some ways and maybe talking me forward, um, in others, but, uh, I appreciate your time. Is there, is there a way that like us, um, plebes can get into the healthy rebellion, uh, community? Well, one, I'm going to, I'm going to get you in there just as a, as a standalone, that's been an oversight for a long time. I mean, it's a, it's a sign up membership deal. And I, I tell people that the, the membership, uh, the membership fee is not for me, it's for the subscribers because it keeps out the riffraff and there's actually skin in the game for, you know, belonging to this thing. Uh, Nikki and I do uh, do the uh, the Healthy Rebellion radio, which is a, a weekly Q&A. So if folks have questions, they can definitely write in and we cover a ton of questions on there and the wackier, the better. Oftentimes there, there's a pretty good chance of getting yours read if it's a little bit squirrely. So the, those are kind of the main main ways to interface with me at this time. Yeah. Okay, sweet. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure that's in uh, the show notes so people can check it out. But um, thank you for just continuing to do what you do and um, enjoy Montana. Don't, you know, don't get eaten by a bear, but like almost get eaten by a bear because that's a good story. And uh, yeah, we'll be, we'll keep in touch. <laughs> That's why there's much wisdom there. That would make for good. That would be something that I would hope that I've got my goddamn cell phone out to document that, you know, as I'm bear spraying this thing or something. It's the yeah, only time technology is okay yeah. is to record your near uh, death by a bear. Yeah, I appreciate it. Near death experiences. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. All right. Thanks, Rob. All right, that's it for the 50th episode of Muscle Maven Radio. Thank you so much for being here and for supporting the show. I'm very pumped that we made it to 50 episodes. I hope we make 50 more. Um, thanks again to Rob for coming on and having some awesome chats with me. I think sometimes it's just good for people in any industry, no matter what kind of work you do, to have some reflection and think about the nature of the work, think about the way we're doing it, the way we're putting our information out there, um, and just being a little bit reflective. And it was awesome that I had an opportunity to do that with Rob. So as always, maybe even more so for this kind of episode, I would love your feedback. I'd love to hear if you enjoyed it, if there was something that really kind of stuck with you, if there's things you think we're just totally missing the boat on. Um, I'd love to hear from you. So you know you can always reach out to me via my website, ashleyvanhouten.com. All the good stuff's on there as well. All my programs, everything that I offer, my book. Um, so reach out to me there. You can send me an email or talk to me on Instagram at the muscle maven. Um, thank you again to our brand new show sponsor, not a new company for me, somebody I've loved for a long time, but paleo Valley, um, has graciously 
offered to support the show and also to give you guys a discount on their products, 15% off if you use the code MMR, so like Muscle Maven Radio, at paleovalley.com. I've been crushing their meat sticks and their protein bars, uh, superfood bars every day, literally, since they sent me a care package. Um, But they do have a lot of other products, really high quality greens. They have um, apple cider vinegar um, supplement that I'm going to look into, really good for gut health, um, and a ton of other products, which we can talk about more as we move forward, but their snacks are really, really good quality and really tasty. So I suggest you start with that. So code MMR, paleovalley.com, 15% off. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for being here. And I hope you join me for episode 51 in a week. Take care guys. 